Hey, so good to see you today, and uh, I don't know, the day I'm recording this, uh, lots of snow here in Ohio, so I don't know where you're watching and what day you're watching this, but we're glad you're checking things out on this snowy day. I'm Dan, one of the pastors here, love the fact you're joining us. If I've never met you, if it's your first time joining us, uh, send me an email. Let us know that you're checking things out, listening, but uh, hopefully this will be a blessing to you today. If you have a Bible, go to Psalm chapter 67. We're talking about prayer. So we're talking about. And if I could just spend a few moments talking to you about prayer, uh, what we're saying is this conversation is not about praying more, better, longer prayers. It's about praying different. Uh, it's about praying dangerous. What we're saying is what if we jump off of the merry-go-round of familiar safe prayers onto the roller coaster of faith-filled, even dangerous prayers? Or, or last week, you used the illustration, what if we jump out of the belly of the plane of the complacent, same old, same old prayers and we jumped into the midair of surrender and commitment where we need God to show up and show off. How's that? So we've prayed some prayers, uh, different prayers. Some of you have prayed different prayers, and they're dangerous, right? Search my heart, God. Show me why I do it. Test me. Show me what I'm really afraid of. Point out the things that are really, really wrong in my life, and then lead me. Last week, uh, not my will, but yours be done. It's in the Lord's Prayer. Many people know it. Just haven't thought about what does it mean for me to pray that. Uh, This week, what I'd love to talk about is maybe one that is common vernacular, bless me. That's easy for us to pray, right? God bless me or bless us or bless them, whatever the case may be. We use this language a lot. Think about all the places we use this, right? Somebody sneezes, you say what? God bless you. That's interesting. Why in the world do we say that? Well, there was a point in time when people believed that when you sneezed, uh, your soul left your body. And so it was a way to say, hey, we don't want Satan to get an advantage here. God bless you. And then somewhere in the Middle Ages, uh, they actually thought your heart stopped. And so uh, it was a way of kind of pronouncing a benediction almost on you, right? God bless you. Like, if this is it, God bless you. So next time somebody sleeps, like, God bless you, uh, is what you say. Uh, how about some of you have been down south, right? You've been down south, what do they say down there? Bless your heart, right? Uh, bless you, bless your heart. And here's what I have found. Like, anybody ever been down south? Uh, you don't know whether they're being serious and sincere or sarcastic, right? Because sometimes they say, bless your heart. It's like, oh, bless your heart, man. That's that's awesome. And sometimes like, oh, bless your heart. Like, you're messed up. In fact, I found this interesting little thing, this little pie chart of what they mean when they say, bless your heart. Uh, a big majority of them saying this, you're pitiful, but you don't know it. Bless your heart. That, you're pitiful. Now, some of them mean, can I bring you a casserole? Man, that just sounds like that's rough. I love that, right? Uh, this little chunk of the pie over here to say this, I wish I could say what I'm really thinking, but I'm just going to say, bless your heart, right? Uh, and, and then these people over here, man, I'm praying for you. Uh, really, really small, and they made it dark. I really don't care, but I feel like I should. Bless your heart, right? Yeah, this whole idea of bless your heart, bless me, is a prayer we pray. In fact, we say the blessing. You know that is, right? The blessing uh, before the meal. Will somebody say the blessing? I think it's uh, uh, that famous Christmas movie, like, the blessing, right? Why do we say the blessing? Well, maybe the family's coming over, we want to impress them, uh, Maybe Aunt Ethel cooked and we just want to make sure it's edible. I don't know. Maybe we just eat a bunch of junk food and we're praying God's blessing that he'll somehow make nutritious that food, which is not nutritious. I don't know. Most of us say it because we're just thanking God for the food. And then we as uh, an American uh, country, uh, all of you, probably most of you, if not all of you are watching this and you're Americans, uh, we say, God bless a 
America, right? There's a whole song written about that. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above, right? And so this is common vernacular. We pray this prayer. We even sing this prayer. The question we're asking is, what are we saying when we say, bless me or bless us? Is it a selfish prayer? And so that's why our Bibles are open to Psalm 67, because what we can say is it's a scriptural prayer. So let's say that. May God be gracious to us and say it with me. And what? Bless us and make his face shine upon us. Uh, by the way, that is a reiteration of a prayer or benediction that Aaron would have given back in the book of Numbers, right? Uh, some of you have heard this at the end of um, church services, maybe, growing up. Uh, it's a scriptural prayer. Sounds like a safe prayer as well. The question we're saying is, well, what do we mean? Or, or maybe what are we asking when we say that? Because it's easy to pray this, God bless me, or bless us, or God, we're praying your blessing upon us. It's easy to pray this without thinking too much about it. In fact, some of you have prayed this and recited this in churches as a benediction. Today, what I hope to do a few moments is create some muscle confusion. You guys remember P90X? Anybody raise your hand, right? Uh, the whole idea is confuse your muscles. Don't do the same old, same old. So what you want to do is confuse your muscles. And so I want to confuse our muscles, the muscles of our understanding, uh, in order that somehow we might look at this prayer that maybe we've prayed, maybe we've heard prayed, maybe we've heard others pray, and I want to confuse our muscles that are like, what is going on here, so that we grow stronger in our understanding of what's actually happening here. The place for us to begin is, in this prayer, we've got to ask ourselves, what's the purpose of blessing? What's the purpose of blessing? So to fully understand, we've got to go back in this word, bless, this word bless, we can say, what in the world does that mean? What does that word mean? It is a Hebrew word used about 320 sometimes in the Hebrew Old Testament, Baruch. And that word simply means to kneel, uh, to bend the knee, to receive favor from someone while kneeling in front of them. So it's almost this idea of a superior pronouncing blessing, and we're kneeling out of respect that we are receiving something. Now, when you go back to Psalm 67, the words around bless help us understand the first thing we got to get our head around. May God be, what, gracious to us and make his face shine upon us, bless us. It tells me something about blessing that when we say bless us, we're asking God for the gifts of his grace. We're thanking God for the gifts of his grace. We're asking him for the gifts of his grace. Bless us is attached to be gracious to us. We're asking for the undeserved kindness of God to shine upon our life. That's what we're saying. First and foremost, it is a humble recognition that you and I need God's divine favor, that we need his undeserved grace, and that that is the source of all blessings, that his grace is the source of all blessings. It's a reminder to me that all the blessings that I have come from God. It's a reminder to me that the blessings that I receive are a gift from the king before whom I bow the knee. It, it flies in the face, this humble recognition, it flies in the face of a pride that feels like somehow blessings are deserved. To bend the knee is to recognize and request his grace to show up in my life. That tells me something about blessings. I don't demand blessing. I accept it as a gift. 
It tells me something about blessings. I don't deserve it, can't earn it. It's an act of undeserved grace. It tells me something about bless us that I receive it. I don't dictate what that blessing should be. I receive it as a gift, right? Uh, it's the difference between paying for something and receiving something as a gift. When I go to the store and pay for something, and if I don't get what I paid for, I'm going to return and say, hey, I paid for a Big Mac and I got a chicken sandwich, right? But I paid for it, so I, I want the Big Mac. Uh, but when you give me a gift, I don't give it back. You give me a gift. Maybe you bought me this nice shirt and you're like, we picked this out for you. I don't give it back and say, hey, I didn't want a shirt. What I wanted was fill in the blank. You see, when, it, when we receive a gift... Uh, sometimes kids growing up don't realize this, right? They, 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 they demand things from mom, like, hey, this is what I want. They're like, hey, brother, this is a, this is a blessing. <laughs> this is a gift. You see, the gifts that I get from God are part of, a part of, or they come from, the source of, are his grace, his undeserved favor and kindness. Now, let's go back. Let's go back. So, so that's the first thing, right? We're asking God for the gifts of his grace. Let's go back. Bless us. Part of your grace. Most people stop there. But look at those next two words. Say them out loud. So that. You know what those words are, right? They're words of purpose. Uh, bless us why? This is the purpose of blessing. So that. His grace is the source of the blessing, but here's the purpose for his blessing. And the purpose of his blessing is that we are blessed to be a blessing. Like there's a purpose. And the purpose is we are blessed to be a blessing. We are to be a conduit, not a cul-de-sac. We're to be a river where his blessing is distributed. We're not to be a reservoir where it's collected. It's important. So bless us so that, look at the first thing he says, your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. What he's saying here, at its core, Psalm 67 is a missionary psalm. It's talking about the missionary heart of God. Bless us so in turn, we can be a blessing to others, namely all the nations. He's saying we are blessed to take the message of salvation, to make known your ways, to make known your salvation to the world. Tim Keller says it this way. I wrote it in my notes here. God never blesses except to be a blessing. God calls us in, never calls us into intimacy without sending us out into sacrificial service. What he's saying is I'm blessed by God to be a conduit of that blessing. And so when it comes to the message of salvation, the gospel, I am blessed by the message of salvation. And many of us are like, I'm so glad I'm blessed, right? Praise God for my salvation. But what he's saying is I'm blessed so that I can be a conduit of that message. So Dan Gregory is blessed because of the message of salvation so that I can be a blessing, right, to my neighborhood, so that I can be a blessing to my friends and family, so that I can be a blessing and make known his way and his salvation among the nations, namely people in my space. But, but, but it goes beyond that, that we've been blessed as a church, Grace Church Norton, by the gospel, so that we can be a river of blessing to Norton, 
to the greater Akron area, to the state of Ohio, to the world. See, we're blessed to be a blessing. Uh, it's not just so that we can make the gospel clear. Look what he says. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad, sing for joy. For you roll, all the peoples, with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May the peoples praise you. The land yield its harvest, God. Our God blesses us. I think we're blessed to be a blessing, not just to share the good news of salvation, but we're blessed so that we can display his justice in the world. God blesses us so that we can fight for fairness and display the heart of God. God blesses us so we can stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. God blesses us so that we can advocate for the marginalized. God blesses us so that we can stand in the gap for the poor. God blesses us so that we can run into the messiness of sickness and disarray and help. See, here's, here's why it's important. Ready? Get your, I have no slide for this. I probably should have. The blessings of God will begin to spoil in your life if they're not shared. The blessings of God will begin to spoil in your life if they're not shared. Take, for instance, the gospel. It's why for some of us, the amazing grace of God in the old, old story has gotten old. It's because you haven't shared it with anybody for a long, long time. So what happens is you start to think you deserve it, and then you begin to develop a condemning spirit for those who haven't received it, instead of a compassionate heart, pride begins to replace humility. You see, it begins to spoil, gets stale. Uh, it's the same thing with justice. When I don't share it, I begin to spend more and more time thinking how to hoard what I have instead of how to use what I have to help others. And one writer said it this way, what I don't use, I'll eventually lose. Like, I can think more about storing my stuff than sharing my stuff. Instead of being grateful, I become discontent. Instead of generous, I become greedier. You see, the fact of the matter is that what I don't use, I end up losing. I need his divine grace. Bless us. I need your undeserved favor. There's nothing I did to earn it. When you give it, you bless to be a blessing. Now stay with me. Last verse. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Okay, we got to do some work here because here's where we're going to need to kind of dig in. What if some of us, you ready? What if some of us, or maybe a lot of us, or, or maybe most of us, I don't know, are reading our Bible wrong? And maybe if we're reading our Bible wrong, what if subsequently we're reading our lives wrong? You're saying, Dan, what do I mean? Well, I heard a guy put it this way once and it stuck with me. He said, most of us read our Bible like our high school yearbook. You remember getting your high school yearbook? You remember that? I remember that. Got a high school yearbook. What do you do? What's the first thing you do? You leaf through that thing and you look for what? Pictures of you. There it is, man. Yes, that is me. Same guy. Life's been a little rough. I don't know, right? Yeah, we go through our yearbook and we look for a picture of us. And so what we do is relive our high school days through our yearbook looking for how it 
was a story that primarily was about us and these people that are in the book are supporting characters. But the main character, or at least the one that I'm looking for, is me. It becomes easy to read the Bible that way, to look through here and find, try to find my picture. What is it for me? Here's the problem. When we read the Bible that way, we assume that we have the primary role and all others, including God, somehow play a supporting role. One Bible teacher that I was listening to was making the point the Bible is not 66 segregated individual books. Did you know that? But the Bible is one unified story. And God is the ultimate author of that story. Jesus is its central character. The Holy Spirit is the primary guide. And the gospel is the overarching story. That's worth saying again. The Bible is one unified story with God as its ultimate author. Jesus as its central character. The Holy Spirit as the primary guide. And the gospel as its overarching story. And the Bible tells us, and God tells us through his word, that the chief end of man is to glorify God, that he is the central focus, not me. And so it tells me something. When I say bless us, I'm saying bring glory to yourself through my life, through our lives. When I say bless us, I'm saying I need your undeserved favor I recognize it as your undeserved favor. When you do bless us, I realize I'm a conduit of that blessing. And I realize that the chief end of man is to enjoy you and bring glory to you with our life. Here's the deal. His blessings are a gift of his grace. His blessings are for the good of the gospel, to demonstrate it and declare it. And his blessings are to result in bringing glory to God. Every time we thank God for the gifts of his grace, he gets glory. Every time I leverage my resources and my life to be a conduit for the good of the gospel, he gets glory. Every time I share my blessing to bless someone in need, guess what? He gets glory. When you read the Bible this way, all of a sudden it begins to, begins to transform the way you see the story of the Bible, which is interesting because there's this paradoxical pathway of blessing. You see, the purpose of blessing is to bless others and to bring glory to God, but there's this, the, the Bible is kind of strung together with this idea of blessing. Did you know that? It's interesting. Here's what, where we need to confuse our muscles again. Because if God is the primary character, it's like walking out on the, a stage in the middle of a play. If I walk out on that stage and I assume that I am the central character, I'm assuming that everybody else's role supports mine. And what I'm doing is neglecting the fact that there are scenes that happen before me and scenes that will happen after me. And so I am demanding that this scene be the consummate scene and that everybody else plays a supporting role, even God. When the fact of the matter is, the Bible tells us there's a whole lot of scenes that have happened before Dan ever came on the scene in 1966. And there's a plot line that is happening after Dan leaves the scene in 2000 and whatever, whatever. 
and that the central character is not Dan, but it happens to be God. See, it's the difference between God playing a part in my story and me recognizing the part I play in God's story. So this is where one Bible teacher I engaged recently helps us. See, he was suggesting the Bible is not 66 independent books, but one story made up of three parts. An introduction, the story of God, and a conclusion. That kind of helps condense the Bible a little bit. That the introduction is found in Genesis 1 through 11 is what that should say. 1 through 11. That the story is found in Genesis 12 through Revelation 4. And the conclusion is found in Revelation chapter 5 to the very end. You see, the whole story of God starts with a blessing. Did you know that? So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God what? Say it out loud. God what? Bless them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. The whole story starts with a God who blesses. But you know the story, don't you? It doesn't take long for man to trade the blessing of God for one that he felt like he could manufacture on his own. You see, the introduction begins with Adam and we see him trading that blessing and then we see him being expelled from the garden. We see him hiding from the God that he used to walk with. Things got so bad by around chapter 5 and 6, all of a sudden it says this. You don't need to turn there. Let me read it to you. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was evil. So guess what? It says the Lord regretted that he made human beings. That's a troubling verse. And God's heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I'll wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I've created. He goes from creating them, placing them in this perfect setting, saying, fill the earth, subdue it, enjoy my blessings, to regretting, wanting to wipe the, the whole planted planet for, of, of the human race. And he sends the what? The, the flood. There's one man who finds favor, undeserved kindness. His name is Noah, and he said, build an ark. And in that ark, Noah took his family, and he took two of every kind. Noah came out of the ark, and all of a sudden, we see almost like this do-over, right? Until man does what man does again, they begin to trade in the blessing of God for manufactured blessing. And what it says in Genesis chapter 11, instead of scattering as he commanded, instead of filling the earth, they said, come, let's build a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. We want to make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered, which is what God commanded them to do. The end of chapter 11, in Genesis, it says the Lord scattered them over all the earth. He didn't wipe them from the earth. He had made a promise to Noah. They stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. That's the introduction, that this God who blesses man has traded the blessing of God for a manufactured blessing. They disobey God, the inclinations of the heart full of sin, which leads to the beginning of the broad story of the Bible, and it begins with a man. His name is Abram. We know him as Abraham. Here's what God says to Abram, Abraham, go from your country 
your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will what? Bless you. I will make your name great. Chapter 11, they wanted to make their name great. What does God say? I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I'm going to bless you to be a what? You see how this works? To be a what? A blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be what? Blessed through you. God's grace chooses a man, blesses him to be a blessing so that he can bring glory to God in his life. God wants to bless all the peoples on the earth that he has scattered through this one man, Adam, Abraham. And he does bless him with some material things along the way. Abraham is a blessed man. But when you follow the pathway of blessing, you begin to follow the string and the pathway of blessing, you begin to see something, that it takes anything but a straight line. That Abraham's pathway, like, Sometimes we think, okay, did God bless him? Like all of a sudden, bam, he was Lamborghini and millions of dollars. And I mean, is that what happened? No. I want you to write this down. The pathway of blessing involves faith in the unexpected, faith in the unsettling, faith in sometimes the unwanted circumstances of life. Do you know Abraham's story? God said, leave your country and your family Go to a place I'll show you, unfamiliar territory. Jump out of the plane. Bless us. Do you know his story? He said, I'll bless you. I'll give you your own family. Abraham and Sarah were well advanced in years before they ever became pregnant with their own child. In fact, along the way, there were twists and turns. Do you know the story? That literally, he slept with Sarah's servant and born to her was Ishmael, twists and turns along the way. And then when finally Isaac, their child came, God said, I want you to surrender your child to me. Sacrifice him on this Mount, Mount Moriah. And Abraham, these, these, these unsettling and these unexpected and unwanted circumstances, trust God. Do you remember that? He takes the boy. And at that moment when God sees that he was somebody who was going to trust him in the unsettling, trust him in the unwanted, trust him in the unexpected times. The angel of the Lord called at just that moment when Abraham and the boy are there by the altar. He said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I'll surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the skies and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations will be blessed because you have obeyed me. What a fascinating story. Now, if you know Abraham's story, eventually Abraham dies. Abraham dies and God reconfirms the promise he gave to Abraham through Isaac. Isaac had two sons. Do you know the story? And they were twins and One's name was Esau, and one's name was Jacob. Jacob was the oldest, or Esau was the oldest. Jacob was the youngest. If you know the story, the youngest, Jacob, stole both his brother's blessing and his birthright. He's a rascal. And yet God's blessing continues to go even through this messy line in the middle of this messy genealogy. 
and he repronounces the blessing he gave to Abraham, to Jacob. One night, Jacob is sleeping, and he has a dream, this ladder that reaches to heaven, and it is there in that dream that he reconfirms his blessing that through Abraham's seed, he wants to bless others which is very fascinating because if you know Jacob's story, he was a deceiver who ended up being deceived. When he went to go for a wife, he decided to tell her brother that he would work seven years for the wife that he wanted. Her name was Rachel. She was beautiful. He worked seven years, and then the night of their wedding, when he went into the marriage tent, he found out that what Laban, Rachel's brother, had done was give Jacob Rachel's sister instead. The Bible is clear she was not nearly as attractive. He was deceived. He was deceived, and so he worked another seven years so that he could get his bride, waited 14 years to get the bride that he wanted. Finally, in this obscure passage, this is fascinating to me, in this obscure passage, Jacob wrestles with God. God in his grace allows Jacob to wrestle all night long, exhausted, as the night comes to an end, Jacob looks at this figure he's wrestling with, who he finds out later is God, and he says, please bless me. God blesses Jacob, and Jacob walks away from that moment with a limp. It tells me something about the paradoxical pathway of blessing. The pathway of blessing can be a limp that I walk with as a result of wrestling with God. That sometimes, sometimes, guys, God's blessings come in disguise. Did you know that? That sometimes it's the limp that you walk with that comes as a result of a dark night of the soul. That's my story. Like one of the greatest blessings God ever gave me was one of the moments and seasons of my life that I would never choose to go through and would never want to go back through. One of the hardest moments in my life led me in the darkest season of my life is one of the greatest, ready, blessings of my life. I'll never forget the counselor saying to me in the middle of that dark night of the soul, he said to me, have you thanked God for these circumstances that have brought about this dark night of the soul? I'm going to be honest with you. I looked at him square in the eye and I said, no. And I looked him square in the eye and I said, no, I don't plan to. I don't plan to. I was so disoriented. I was so discombobulated. I was so depressed, so discouraged, so dark. There was silence in that counseling room, and curiosity killed the cat for me. Eventually, I looked at him, and I said, why in the world would you ask me that question? He was a very thoughtful man. And as he thought for a moment to himself, he looked at me and he said, Pastor Dan, I think he on purpose called me pastor at that point. Pastor Dan. He said, next near as I can tell, when God wants to sharpen a knife, he doesn't run it through butter. He puts it between a rock and a hard place. I knew exactly what he was saying. Didn't make me feel better at the time, but I can now, however many years later, look at that moment in my life and say, I wrestled with God. And I need to tell you something, I walk with a limp. Not a physical limp, but that opened something in me that I have limped with from that day forward. And I can honestly look at that now and say, that's part of God's blessing in my life. If you know anything about Jacob, he had 12 boys. One of those boys' name was Judah. 
And did you know from the line of Judah, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, brings it down from the line of Judah, you have this little boy whose name was Jesus. That's Christmas. Here's the genealogy, Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And eventually it leads to Jesus. It tells me something about blessing, that Jesus is the person of ultimate blessing. Did you know that? He is the person of ultimate blessing. Here's a passage I want to show you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That all the nations of the earth are blessed because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. He has blessed us completely. This blessing is open to everybody entirely. In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing necessary. It is available to every person who wants to receive it. In Christ, all the promises of God are fulfilled. In Christ, we are adopted into his family. In Christ, we are completely forgiven and redeemed of our sins. In Christ, those of us who are spiritually dead can be spiritually alive. In Christ, we become trophies of his grace. In Christ, we become masterpieces in his hand. In Christ, we have access to God as our Father. Bless us begins with this realization that I am and have been blessed in Christ beyond my wildest imagination. And so what's the response? When I say bless us, I'm saying, God, I recognize your divine favor in my life. I recognize every blessing I have is a result of your divine favor and grace in my life. And I realize you're blessing me to be a blessing to others, to bring glory to you. So what, what, what's the response? Well, the first is found, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I will bless the Lord for the gifts of his grace. Blessed people are people who bless the Lord. Do you know what that means to bless the Lord, to honor him, to praise him, to lift high the name of the one before whom we kneel. We sing a song around here. Maybe you've heard it. Get on uh, line, look it up, listen to it. 10,000 reasons. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul, worship his name. Sing like you've never sang before. Oh, my soul, I'll worship your holy name. Sun comes up, new day dawning, time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass, whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. You are rich in love. You are slow in anger. Your name is great. Your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I'll keep on singing. 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and then forevermore. Psalm 34, 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be on my lips. Psalm 103, 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Psalm 104, 1, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord for the gifts of his grace. You see, we as his kids have been blessed ought to be the people who bless his name, from whom praise just erupts. The most humble yet thankful people on the planet. What we've received comes from him. It's a gift. It's undeserved. It's his kindness. That kindness blows us away. 
But I think the second thing is this. I'll leverage my blessings to bless others. I'll leverage the blessings. I gotta ask myself, have the blessings of God begun to get stale in my life? Have they begun to get stale in your life? Can I ask you that? Are you more of a cul-de-sac or a conduit? Do you find yourself a collector of blessings or a distributor? When is the last time you've had the opportunity to share the good news of the blessing that you've received in the gospel? We are blessed to be a blessing. The, the, the blessings of the gospel are not simply for you to collect, but for you to share. What about the blessings of God in your life? Do you find yourself a generous sharer? Or do you find yourself a stingy hoarder of the blessings of God? I love what Paul told Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in the God who blesses. He's the one who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. What's he saying? To be a blessing with their blessing. To bless others with their blessing. In this way, they'll lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What he's saying is, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. That's what he's saying. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If I could go back to this slide, I'll leverage my blessings to bless others. If I really pray that bless us, don't be surprised, stay with me on this, if God breaks your heart for something. Don't be surprised if you pray, God bless us, that if he begins to bless you by breaking your heart for the plight of the marginalized. Don't be surprised if you pray, bless us, if he begins to break your heart for the underprivileged, the young or the old, or maybe even the unborn. Don't be surprised if he breaks your heart for those without families, those without resources, and those without Jesus. See, that's what happens. As he begins to break your heart, Bless us. I think it leads to one last thing. I'm going to bless the Lord for his gifts of grace in my life. I'm going to leverage my blessings to bless others. But I think the third thing is this. I'll thank God even for blessings in disguise that bring glory to God for the good of the gospel. I'll thank God. Do you have any blessings in disguise? Paul put it this way. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away, but he said, my grace is sufficient to you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. What's he saying? He's saying, God... This weakness, this thorn in the flesh, is actually, I see a blessing in disguise. I, I was uh, fascinated. My wife was reading a book and fascinated me. And it's a story of a gal whose name is Laura Story. It's her story, but her last name is Story. The story's fascinating. She grew up in South Carolina, very musical, loved to play the piano, the guitar, bass fiddle. She all of a sudden became very good in 2002 after five years and lots of road miles with a band. She all of a sudden left her band to start a solo music career. She scraped together enough money to cut an album. 
she began her career. By 2004, Laura Story was living her dream. She was married to high school sweetheart Martin Elvington. He was an athletic young man, and they moved to Atlanta so that she could become part of the Perimeter Church and help them in their praise and worship leadership. A year after they moved there, her husband Martin, the story says, began to fall asleep inexplicably at work, had difficulty remembering simple tasks, and to his surprise, he grew an inch and a half after a few months. In February of 2006, Laura was at a music conference in St. Louis when she got the call from Martin with MRI results. Martin had a brain tumor, which was pressing in on his pituitary gland. Doctors successfully removed Martin's tumor. However, after the operation, he, can, he uh, contracted meningitis in the hospital. He spent more than two weeks on a ventilator just fighting for his life. There were additional complications, many more surgeries, followed by radiation, physical therapy. His five-day anticipated stay in the hospital stretched into two months. When he was finally discharged, this young husband had permanent memory loss, partial vision loss, difficulty walking. Martin's disabilities prevented his return to work, and Laura became the primary breadwinner. While she was dealing with Martin's traumatic situation, this is fascinating, Laura received a call from a record company in Nashville encouraging her to write a praise and worship album. At this point in her life, writing music was the furthest thing from Laura's mind. On her bad days, she wanted to curse God, not praise Him. On her good days, she questioned why this bad thing had happened to her young husband. Laura struggled to lead worship at Perimeter on Sunday. She had been there 10 months, and four of those she'd been dealing with his illness. After explaining her situation to the record company, Laura told him she couldn't do the project. Her life was in chaos. Her story didn't have a happy ending. But that executive she was talking to on the phone took a risk. He challenged her by asking, what if God's asking you to write worship songs in the midst of your trials? Laura wondered why anybody would share his or her story in the middle of trial, but after praying about it, she felt led to write and do an album. In 2008, Laura released the album, Great God Who Saves, and it won a Grammy Award for Inspirational Album of the Year. She was amazed that songs about worshiping God in hard times could be so successful. She continued to write and perform songs about the challenges she and Martin were experiencing. In 2011, her song, Blessings, went from number one on the Christian music charts and won a Grammy for Best Christian Contemporary Music Song of the Year. That song, Blessings, goes like this. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace. Comfort for family. Protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. Listen. And all the while, you're... You hear each spoken need. You love us way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love. As if every promise from your word is not enough. And all the while, you hear each desperate plea and long that we'd have faith to believe. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know that you're near? And what if trials of this life are really 
your mercies in disguise. What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise when friends betray us, when darkness seems to win? We know the pain reminds this heart that this is not, this is not our home. It's not our home. Because what if blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And what if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? And what if the trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are actually your mercies in disguise? Bless us. We need your divine favor, your grace, namely primarily found in the gospel of Jesus Christ when you sent Jesus to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That's where it begins, that in Christ we are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And then the blessings that we receive, beginning with the gospel and everything around it, are simply ways for us to be a conduit of his blessing in this world in which we live, to make sure that message of salvation is clear, to leverage our lives for those who need help, to fight for fairness, to stand in the gap for those who can't stand up for themselves, to run into the mass of the marginalized, and then ultimately to read this book and read our lives through the lens of bringing glory to God, that his blessings result in bringing praise and glory to God in and through my life. Will you pray with me? God, would you bless us? And my feeling is that if you would answer that prayer, you would remind us of how blessed we are in Christ. That in reminding us, that uh, us of that, you would challenge us to leverage all the blessings we received from you in a way that we don't collect them, but we distribute them. And God, I want to say thank you for those blessings in disguise. We would not be who we are were not for them, not have some of the opportunities we have were not for them. Bring glory to yourself through our lives. Bless us. I pray in Jesus' name.